the Formula Spy Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Formula Spy Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Parker, and I'm joined by two legends from the barrel of legends that is Formula Spy. The first is Carlo's biggest collector of novelty pint glasses. It's Thomas Marr. Hello, Frank. How are you? Good. Good. I hope you're well as well, because I'm joined by the only man from Preston to ever wear a coat. It's Luke Murphy. Good evening, Frank. Thanks for having me. Good. Oh, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to have you both. <laughs> so um, we're undertaking the mammoth task of uh, taking on the German and Hungarian Grand Prix today. So uh, I think we'll start with Germany. Um, so in in an epic thriller of a race, Verstappen took the win with uh, Vettel storming through the field to second place and a surprise Daniel the Torpedo Kvyat in third. Thomas, can you talk us through the spins, the splashes, the crashes? Um, wasn't it just a brilliant hour and 45 minutes of entertainment to watch? Like It, it was right up there with the likes of Interlagos 2003 for just that, that kind of chaotic bedlam uh, with, with great driving interspersed throughout the field. It was just absolutely fantastic, and it's exactly the kind of race that, uh, that Formula One kind of needs every once in a while. That kind of chaotic race where you're not quite sure what's happening. Uh, everything is just absolutely falling to crap for so many <laughs> drivers. And uh, yeah, like the first half of the race was just, was looked like it was going to be another straightforward race for Mercedes. They were, they were legging it away at the front, um, Hamilton and Bottas. And then Charles Leclerc slowly started edging his way into it. Uh, through, uh, uh, you know, a pretty aggressive tyre strategy. Ferrari were um, quite aggressive with their tyre strategies throughout, really, the, the, the entire race. But Charles Leclerc kind of edged his way into the race, put Hamilton under that little bit of pressure. And then, of course, we had Charles Leclerc fly off the track once he put on the dry tyres in that uh, very contentious stadium section. And then only a lap later, while the Ferrari is still embedded in the barriers, Hamilton flies off the road. And does the exact same thing, but um, as we all slightly saw, better. Yeah, he, he didn't go off as a, quite a hard an angle, so he was able to keep the momentum up and you know cross over the track and get in for repairs. And then we saw that you know that brilliant pit stop from Mercedes that was right up there with them. Do you remember back in '99 at the Nurburgring when Eddie Irvine was left with three wheels on his Ferrari <laughs> for, for, for about a minute sitting right. in the pits, and it ended, it ended up basically costing him the championship that year. But uh, probably not the case for Hamilton this year. But, you know, he was in the pits for 50 seconds while Mercedes, you know, they weren't ready for Hamilton. They were ready for Bottas. And uh, we got that explanation then from Mercedes on their pure pit wall de- debrief last week. Uh, basically, they had to make sure that they put the right tyres because, you know, the tyres are, are allocated for each driver. And they had to make sure that they put on Hamilton's tyres onto Hamilton's car because if they put Bottas's ones on, they would have gotten a penalty. And then we saw Bottas wow. crash and we saw Hamilton spin off another couple of times and, you know, more safety car. It was just a brilliant race from start to finish. And, you know, when we saw Daniel Kvyat, uh, you know, when we saw him uh, storming through to take a podium, it looked like Lance Stroll was going to get a podium for Beck's sake. <laughs> that's the kind of race we had. And it's those kind of races that I think every once in a while you want to see the underdog do well. You want to see the small teams do well. And... Um, you know, it was just a fantastic race. Can you tell I'm enthusiastic about it, Frank? You've been waxing lyrical about it, but I'd like to hear from Luke, if possible. <laughs> so, um, so Luke, um, it was, uh, was it 125 years of Mercedes in 
in motor racing. Is that is that right? Am I being utterly bizarre with that? I I, I think it was probably one of their lower moments in their one hundred and twenty five years <laughs> of motor racing. But um, they, you know, fair play to them. We 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 kind of have them as this uh, really big kind of corporate machine, really. But they they really embraced it. You know, they got all dressed up in the kind of vintage gear and stuff and stuff like that. So fair play to them for for taking all the gimmicks on. Um, but um, I think there was a sense that they got a little bit distracted by it, and I think that was what um, Toto Wolf was maybe saying after the race. But um, for the race itself, I, I I don't think I've ever heard the phrase humdinger used so much in my life. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was it was just brilliant, and it was it was just one of those uh, day day of the underdog kind of races that that just come about. They seem even rarer these days, where you can get. Yeah a midfielder on the podium. So it was um, quite possibly a a championship deciding race for a lot of the midfield teams. This has swung the momentum for a lot of these teams in in one way or the other for, for good or bad. And um, it, it was just a just an epic race. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned there a massive haul of points from Toro Rosso from the podium and uh, Albon came fifth, I want to say. No, not fifth. Sixth. 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 Um, so your, potentially... your favorite Carlos Sainz is fifth. <laughs> hey, look, we're not supposed to have favorites, okay? We're supposed to <laughs> yeah, right. Balanced. Um, we're gonna we're gonna raise a few points a bit later on, but because this is sort of like a a dual podcast, I want to move on to a quick overview of the Hungarian Grand Prix as well. So, um, I, I mean, watching that race, I haven't felt that tense since my ex girlfriend found the secret box that had all my Star Trek DVDs in it. So I thought you were going somewhere else with that. <laughs> well, I went even nerdier, but um, it was it was an absolute. You've got to say it was an absolute tactical masterstroke from Mercedes to to pit Lewis behind Vettel with what ten? Uh, I don't know, twenty laps to go, something like that. Yeah, twenty one um, laps because he had twenty one seconds to make up in twenty one laps after it. And okay. uh, to borrow an expression from you, Frank. It was a copper bottom delta of a race. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna take offence at the uh, attempt. At, <laughs> I won't attempt Irish if you won't attempt a northeast accent. Okay, I'll but. never do that again because it was really competition, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, that race was, you know, compared to Hockenheim, which was just bedlam and mayhem everywhere you looked. Hockenheim was, by contrast, a very straightforward affair. And you know, if you you're after another kind of chaotic race that wasn't what Hungary was all about but it was still brilliant in a kind of simmering tension uh strategic masterclass kind of way um like at that race back in 1998 we saw Michael Schumacher go up against Mika Hakkinen uh in a in a strategy masterclass which saw Michael making four pit stops and he had to run qualifying laps you know every step of the way in order to make those four pit stops work and oh no sorry it was three stops against a two-stopper and the uh, th- on this occasion, Verstappen was caught out. Well, Red Bull were caught out by Mercedes making that extra stop because it looked like it had all been kind of squared off, and that it was going to be a straightforward kind of hard tie run to the end. Lewis had used up the best of his tires, and now it was just a case of winding down the laps. But this is where Red Bull are after being, um, you, you know, they're being compromised a little bit by the underperformance of Pierre Gasly because. The big gap 
behind Ferrari were nowhere. So as a result, Mercedes had the option of either sitting behind Verstappen and, you know, making half-hearted attempts at getting past him, or they could roll the dice, come in, put on a more aggressive set of tyres and set off again after Verstappen with 21 laps to go. And, you know, that's the, that's the route they took. They decided to take the gamble because, you know, what, what are they to lose at that point? Mm. And it just so happened that the, the, the delta between the two tires, the tire life, that the, the, the length of time that Max was on those tires for and everything like that, it all just kind of played into Lewis's hands. And, you know, initially it looked like, okay, Max is going to be able to hold on to the gap. But once Max's tires started to go, there was just no, there was no answer. Like we all saw him. He's, he's one of the feistiest, most aggressive drivers on the grid. And the minute Hamilton caught him, he was he was defenseless. There was nothing to do that. Mincemeat, really, at the end. But Luke, I'm I'm interested to know. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on how this? I'm going to call it a 200 mile an hour game of chess. So what? How that played out? How it? How it uh, played out? Yes. Yeah, sorry, I should have yeah. finished that sentence. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, um, I I really liked the kind of pre weekend narrative that seemed to have. Uh, seem to lead up to this quite well because there was a lot of there's been a lot of discussion about who's going to be um, Lewis Hamilton's teammate at Mercedes next season. Um, a lot of people seem to think Valtteri Bottas is on his way out, and that uh, Esteban Ocon is obviously the favourite. But a lot of kind of left field opinions are saying that you know Max Verstappen has uh, might still have a performance based um, or like a championship position based clause. Um, in his contract that might enable him to leave Red Bull before the end of his contract, which is at the end of 2020. So there was a a little bit of discussion about that, whether you really believe it or not. And and when it kind of transpired into this race of Hamilton versus Verstappen, um, it it almost seemed to fit together perfectly with the kind of narrative of the weekend. And to be honest with you, if, if Netflix don't go for that angle, for the next series, then they they haven't played a blinder at all. <laughs> it's interesting that you were uh, that you mentioned Verstappen because um, I think, especially this season, he showed a lot of maturity, and he's starting to look a lot like the full package. So, um, what do we think about Verstappen's maturity and whether we can put it all together to to mount a sort of title challenge this year? Providing, of course, the car can match the pace of Mercedes. And there are some sort of open quotes, uh, Red Bull tracks coming up. What what do we think? Uh, Let's let's start with you first, Thomas. What what do you reckon? I think Max is definitely going to finish second in the championship this year. Okay. Um, I think Bottas is a beaten man. And literally, unless Mercedes have a vast uh, car advantage, I, I don't think Bottas is going to finish second anymore. I think that's going to go to Max. How close he can get to Hamilton I think that is very dependent on how Spa and Monza go because as good as Honda are, I don't think they're going to have the match of Ferrari and Mercedes in terms of power unit mm. uh, down the straights of Spa and Monza. So uh, I think Max will be lucky to get on the podium in either of the next two races. But once we move on to the likes of Japan, once we move on to the likes of Sachi, Interlagos, Brazil, Mexico, you know, all those kind Singapore. of races... Singapore, yeah, that's where I think if Max can stay close or even, you know, chip away at Hamilton's, I think the lead is 69 points now, that's nearly three race wins. It's a big ask. But it's not 
completely out of the realms of possibility. And if anyone can do it, I think Max is probably the one guy who can. He has been incredibly consistent um, since the, you know, the disaster he had in Monaco last year. And, you know, everyone was on his back and, you know, everyone was just kind of going, why are you making so many mistakes? Since then, he's been virtually faultless. He has just been absolutely a relentless point scoring machine. And I think behind, you know, Hamilton's place at the top of the sport isn't really questionable at this point. But if anyone can topple him at this moment, I think it's Max. He's he's still only um, uh, in his teens, isn't he? Um, no, no, he's he's twenty one now. I think. Oh, is he twenty one? Oh, lucky beggar. Yeah. So, uh, so, 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 Luke, have you got anything to add about Verstappen? Have you got any thoughts about whether he can actually sort of take it to Hamilton right at the end of the season? Well, he's he's definitely the informed driver at the moment. I think he's, I, yeah, I think he's probably the the informed driver at the moment, and I think it'll be a case of. Red Bull and Verstappen don't really have much to lose by, you know, aggressive race strategies and just just going for the race wins. And I think it'll be interesting to see that if Verstappen can come to terms with Hamilton a bit more in the next few races, that will mean Mercedes will just start looking behind them just a little bit more and they might start acting a bit more cautious and that might open the door a little bit more. So it's whilst it's not over yet, it's... you know, I agree. It is going to be a, a big ask, but I'd, I'd say if anyone can reignite any kind of championship challenge, then it's going to be it's going to be Verstappen. Okay, right. I think we've given Verstappen enough airtime because I'd like to move on to um, Charles Leclerc. Is it? How do you? How do you? Right. First, first question. <laughs> Tell me how you pronounce his name. Charles Leclerc. I say Charles. Leclerc. Okay. And you don't, you don't, you, you don't pronounce the C at the end, like Eclair. Leclerc. Yeah, do you say Leclerc? No, I say Leclerc. Leclerc. Okay. But I, I think he, he, he himself says Charles because every time he crashes, he goes, "Come on, Charles." <laughs> Does he? Yeah, and you know there has been quite a few of those occasions this year, so. What in that mannerism? Like you just crashed the car. He goes, oh, come on, Charles! Come on, Charles! Oh, so <laughs> you know we hear we we've heard it a few times this year. <laughs> okay, so um, moving away from uh, "Come on, Charles," um, the B side to "Come on, Eileen." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> Leclerc seems to be making like a few. Errors, I want to say, this season. I mean, he, he crashed out in Germany, as you mentioned earlier, Thomas, and he crashed in, uh, is it P1 in, in Hungary? Oh, is it P2? He uh, crashed Q1. in practice. He crashed in Q1. He in crashed practice. in Q1, even better. I, th- I think um, maybe maybe a little bit of background uh, to Frank's sporadic knowledge is that he's been on holiday, hence why we're having to do two race reports in uh, in one, one sitting. So Yeah, how dare you go on holiday, Frank? Look... Lanzarotti called. I picked up the phone. I said, "Give me solace. Give me rest. Give me sand." There was sand everywhere, especially when my feet were wet, and um, I didn't quite recover from the sun. Well, <laughs> those Instagram stories were very questionable. Oh, you saw those, did you? I did. Um, I won't tell anybody. Well, you've you've opened the bloody paddock door now, haven't you? <laughs> 
Oh, well. So, yeah. So, yeah, I did miss the races. But look, I'm doing a good job, right? Yeah. You're bluffing your way through. Same as <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like I do through life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Luke, I'm going to pick on you for this question. Seems you wanted to pick on me. Excellent. Um, is Leclerc driving too hard, do we think? Or is this just a case of he's still sort of, this is only a second season. He's driving for Ferrari. What, what do yeah. you think? I, I think, I think there's still a, an element of him being rough around the edges, which I, th- I think you can maybe still expect because, you know, we've, we've had, we were just talking just before about Verstappen. He was making mistakes left, right and center at the start of mm. 2018. And, and now look at him. So, um, so I don't think you can, I don't think you can write off um, a driver who's proven to be as quick as Charles is by just a couple of mistakes because he, you know, really he should already be a Grand Prix winner. Um, you know, it's just through bad luck that he he hasn't already taken that first yeah. victory. Um, but I think pace wise, he's he he really is keeping Vettel honest and beating him in quite a few races. Um, I think Ferrari won't mind the mistakes too much because they're still in this kind of uh, this kind of limbo season where they 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 say they kind of know where the cars not so good, but they still can't really challenge Mercedes only sometimes. So so I think I think Ferrari don't really you know won't really mind that too much. And um, I, yeah, I I think we will see Charles. I actually think we'll see him win a race before the before the end of the season. Oh really? Yeah, I do. I think he's got the he's got the pace, and I think Ferrari are quick enough at enough circuits to open the door for an opportunity like that for him. Okay, let's talk about Ferrari's pace because it seems to be all over the place at the moment. Like in Hungary, what was Charles like forty seconds off the lead or something? Yeah. Um. So Thomas, what's going on? Um, well, <laughs> if I knew that, I'd probably be working for Ferrari. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> it, uh, I, I don't really know. The, the philosophy of Ferrari's car has changed in a major way in the last two years. Because do you remember like two two years ago, they, they scored a 1-2 in Hungary. And I think they did mm. in 2015 as well. And they did well as well in 2016. Hang on, I just check. I think they won as well in 2016. Oh, look, this is where we talk amongst ourselves. Well. The 2016 Hungarian right. Grand Prix was won by um, um, uh, Hamilton. So, no. Uh, okay, we'll ignore that one. But, like, okay. Ferrari, Ferrari <laughs> won comfortably in 2015 and 2017, despite Vettel having an issue with his car. So, you know, to go from that at a point where, you know, they weren't as competitive versus Mercedes as they have been more recently, to go from that to what they are now and finishing 40 seconds to a minute behind at the same track, they have fundamentally changed the philosophy of their car. And that philosophy is we're going to make the car straight and quick in a straight line. You know, right. it's, it's a very different philosophy. And, it, you know, it hasn't really worked for them. It hasn't worked at all really for them. Well, do you think they've just sacrificed corner, corner pace? Yeah, I think something tells me a lot of this comes down to whatever happened in the second week of testing, preseason testing this year. Do you remember when Vettel had a wheel a suspension failure of some description um, during mm. pre-season testing. And the team withdrew for the rest of that day. They didn't come back out until the day after the crash. And apparently they had to kind of reinforce and redesign quite a bit of the suspension of the car. And ever since then, that 
that dominant Ferrari performance that apparently everyone was talking about, we just haven't really seen it. So I, I wonder whether the whispers about that redesign that they had to do basically completely fecked up where they were at the start of the year and they're having to kind of catch up with themselves from where they should have been earlier right. in the year. I can't understand where Ferrari have gotten it so completely wrong this year. Do you think do you think they might give up on this year, Luke, and and move on to next year? I I think they probably already have to a degree. I mean, you know, the the, the top teams tend to have enough resource to to have a, a kind of phase out and phase in of next, you know, from one season to the next. But mm. uh, I I I think they will probably have allocated a lot of resource to next year, but you know, but at the same time they they do need to save face a little bit because you know, they they need to be appearing to be this race winning outfit because you know they they've got fans all over the world who are expecting race wins from them so so i think it i think it is harder for a team like ferrari to to just say right okay yeah no more development who cares if we finish you know below red bull for the rest of the season and maybe even getting picked off by mclaren you know <laughs> they they can't really they can't really do that so so as as much as I I want them to to focus on 2020 because we don't really think this championship's got much legs in it, um I I don't think they can fully do it personally. Okay. Okay. Right. I'm I'm glad we had that discussion. So um, <laughs> I've got a question for both of you. Okay. So in uh, in Germany, Lewis Hamilton got a five second time penalty uh, because he missed the bollard on on. Pitentry, but there's sort of two ways you can look at it. Number one, he did cut across the track, so he does deserve a penalty. But but number two, the stewards were expecting him to drive around on a wet track or sort of inclement track with a damaged front wing for a full lap, putting himself and possibly other drivers at risk. Do well. Uh, we'll start with you, Thomas. What's your take on that? Um. Well, after he hit the wall. He crossed the track at a 90-degree angle. Hmm. But that wasn't what he was investigated for. He was investigated for crossing the bollard on pit entry on the wrong side. Yeah. But in order for him to get into the pits, that was his only option. He had to do that. There was no way of him literally. He'd have to go backwards, basically, up the track yeah. to get in the correct way. So I think the stewards' hands were tied to a certain extent in terms of the nature of him crossing the track was dangerous. And but they didn't investigate. I, I don't know. I don't know what way to view it, really. I think he probably did deserve a penalty for the way he crossed the track, but that wasn't why he got the penalty. Mm. So mm, it's a tough one, really. Um, yeah. I, it would be very stupid to expect him to go around the whole track, though, with a damaged car. Yeah. Luke, what's your take? I, I think it's just one of those, it, it was a victim of the circumstances thing, you know, with... I kind of said the same thing about um, Vettel's error in Canada. Um, if you know, and, and without wanting to sound a little bit tree falling in the woods, but <laughs> if there's no error in the first place, then no harm can come from it. You know, penalty or damage or otherwise. So, mm. so he was he was just a, a victim of his own error, really. And it's it to to a degree, you just have to say, well, tough, personally. Okay. 
Is that too harsh? Is that is that too blunt? No, no, it's it's a discussion. It's a grey area. It's a silver arrow area. No, that doesn't work. It's a grey area. No, I, I do think he deserved a penalty in some shape or form, but I don't think he was given a penalty for the right reason. Okay. Fair enough. Right. I wanna I wanna move on to um and I have to say this like a robot. Botas two point because it just sounds uh, that wasn't even a robot noise. So um <laughs> Surely there was a, a, a pun of Robotas or something. Oh, yeah, that. there was. Do you Probably. want to host next week? Because I think you're going to be a lot better. <laughs> I'll, 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 just, I'll come up with the puns, you know, and you, you, I'll come up with the ingredients and you just kind of make a cake out of them. Yeah, I'll do what all like famous comedians do now. They get writers, don't they? So um, <laughs> so we, we were all excited about Botas Bot 2. Point. No, I'm not going to do that. We were all excited about this rejuvenated Botas. He had porridge. You know, and he just seems to disappear. He's he's sort of lost his mojo. He he crashed out towards the end of the race in Hockenheim. He had an absolute disaster start in Hungary, and then and uh, you know couldn't really struggle to get past signs at uh, uh, Norris at one point. Luke, how does he get his mojo back? And does he need to look over his shoulder towards towards Ocon and he, Ocon and even perhaps even Russell? Ah. Oh, it- it's a shame, this, isn't it? Because, I, like you say, we we're all excited about Bottas two point You know, I thought his, um, you know, his 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 re- reaction to winning the race in Australia was absolutely brilliant. It was very, mm-hmm. it, it was very like, uh, like what Nico Rosberg did in twenty sixteen, where he just became an absolute unit of a driver, and there was just this <laughs> relentlessness about him, and and it was just like a, a a reborn kind of driver. So we kind of thought something like that might happen again, and. And his his first few races were were pretty good. I thought his win in Baku was was really impressive because he, he he resisted pressure from Hamilton for the entire race. You know Hamilton was pushing so hard he you know made a little mistake at the final corner that meant he didn't have any kind of final chance to overtake. And mm. uh, so so he started well, and then I think maybe as we got to circuits that probably favoured Hamilton a little bit, the pendulum just kind of swung back towards. Lewis a little bit and it's yeah it's a shame because just ever so gradually that championship lead has just been eking out and and mm. what is he now 70 odd points off of Hamilton 62 62 uh, 62 yeah is that Bottas or Verstappen though Bottas 62 Verstappen 69 okay um, so yeah I mean when he outqualified Hamilton in Hungary a track that Hamilton has gone really well at in the past. I thought, okay, yeah, this is this is Bottas fighting back for his mistake in the, at, the, at the Hockenheim ring, and I thought, yeah, he's going to be in contention here. But again, he he, he just he locked up at turn one, locked up at turn two, um, had a had a I think he had a he said he had a, a minor bump with Verstappen and then an even bigger bump with uh, with uh, Leclerc going into turn four. So Hungary was just over by half a lap so yeah you know i'll say it again it's a shame because we we wanted to see if it was going to be a one-team championship we wanted to see bottas hounding hamilton as well and unfortunately i i I think he's probably out of the championship hunt now unless something Mm -hmm. really dramatic happens okay thomas do you think do you think they'll look to replace bottas because he's a solid number two but he's just having a maybe he's having a bit of an off period at the moment but if if he were to be replaced where could Mercedes look 
a lot of drivers are already tied up in contracts and we've got Ocon and we've got Russell in the sort of the Mercedes camp. Are they even going to do a better job than Bottas? I think Bottas has done. I think he's, um, I don't think there's any coming back really from this anymore. Uh, when you don't publicly have the support of your team boss um, at this point of the season, especially when, you know, there was that whole pointing out in the press conference of, you know, in July of last year, Bottas was confirmed for the following year. Mercedes and Total Wolf have not reconfirmed Bottas. They're not publicly supporting him. They're actively and, you know, publicly saying they're considering other drivers for the seat. Um, and when Total Wolf, you know, was interviewed by Sky at the end of the Hungarian Grand Prix and he was saying that uh, they were disappointed for Valtteri, they didn't say with, which I noticed, but they did say for Valtteri. Mm. But you know, Wolf used the words, uh, Valtteri is blown it, and we need to assess whether we're keeping Valtteri on or a young driver in terms of risk and reward. And he also said in the press conference in Hockenheim that it was all about thinking about the future for the team. And the thing is, Lewis Hamilton is now 34 years old. Mercedes do have to start thinking about what happens if Lewis reaches the end of his contract and goes, right, lads, I'm done. See you later. Good luck. <laughs> All of a sudden, they've got Valtteri Bottas leading the team, who is being crucified at the moment by Max Verstappen in an inferior car. So in terms of trying to find someone to replace Lewis, Valtteri is not that guy. I think it's been well established over the two and a half years that they're together now that Valtteri is not the equal of Lewis. Um, so in terms of replacing him, what do they have to lose by sticking Esteban Ocon alongside um, alongside Lewis next year. First of all, he's a Mercedes man already. Yeah. Second of all, they don't have to pay any release fees or anything like that to any other team. And third of all, if Esteban is told to toe the company line and you know sit in and serve as number two and you'll get your chance eventually, he's far more likely to obey those rules and orders than if they were to pay big money and you know try and get Max Verstappen out of his seat at Red Bull. Well, I don't see Verstappen. I don't see Verstappen going anywhere. I don't see Vettel going anywhere. Um, but I think Espen Ocon's in that mark next year. Okay. Luke, do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you mentioned Russell. I think there'll, there'll be no harm in leaving Russell um, in, a, in another team for at least another season or you know, maybe, maybe even a bit more. So um, I don't think Russell's going to be in, in consideration. But, um, you know, at least for Ocon, he has to be back on the grid. Um, next season for the sake of his career like with or without Mercedes um, you know th- there could be a, a door open at Renault maybe as well um, but but go- going back to, to Valtteri I think if he does leave Mercedes I think uh, I think he will be snapped up by a midfield team because Haas. I think it, and it's going to be Haas apparently <laughs> um, <laughs> I can see him at Haas <laughs> I, I, yeah I mean I, I think anyone who can um, who can regularly seem to compete with Hamilton on a qualifying level, like he has done, um, is you know is obviously a quick driver. So I think he would be an asset to to another another team, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely race winner. So um, I want to move on because we're we're going to start to run out of time. And there's a couple more things that we need to go over. Um, let's talk Gasly because well, it is a Gasly season for him, isn't it? Yeah, oh. I was going to. Oh, right. <laughs> the podcast is over now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he had a shunt 
in the closing stages of Germany, which just looked, I don't know, it just looked a bit of like a rookie era. I don't know whether the Toro Rosso was to blame because I was on holiday. Um, it was the second shunt of the weekend. Yeah. Um, and then he got lapped by his teammate in Hungary. Lapped. And I, Luke, how long before Red Bull start to lose their patience with him? I, I think they already are, to be honest, because you, you, you listen to the likes of Helmut Marko and Christian Horner um, after after a race or you know even after Gasly uh, crashed out in the practice session um, at, uh, at Hockenheim and, and he, he sounded very uh, like he like he wanted to you know give him a good telling off telling off um, <laughs> and it, yeah just some of the language that they were using just kind of sounded like sounded like they, they were they were getting to the end of their tether with him a little bit. But at the same time, I I think it would be maybe too early for someone else to come in. So I actually think Gasly's safe until at least the end of the season. I, I don't mm. see any advantage in Red Bull putting anybody else in there. Um so so yeah, I, I think he will have the season. It's just it's just a case of can he can he salvage any kind of performance from it and and at least try and compete with Max even a, a little bit? It's, it's it's getting desperately sorry for him, really. Mm. I feel bad for Pierre because simply because he seems to be a nice guy, um, and you know when you see him at you know when he sits down to to talk with the press or anything like that, and the amount of people gathered around him, he just looks. He looks harassed. He looks under pressure. It, it, like he's only a young guy, and to be in that position, it's it's first of all it's horrible for him, but second of all, there's no end in sight for him simply because Max is doing so well in the other car. So mm-hmm. there's nowhere for him to hide. There's no excuses. There, it's just literally a case of Pierre. Why are you so slow? <laughs> why do you crashing? Um, and you know he had two crashes in Hockenheim. Um, one in practice by himself, and then the one with Alex of all people to run into, yeah, Tor Russell while trying to overtake it, you know, on track. It wasn't lapping him; it was trying to overtake him again. <laughs> That's not a good look. And then in Hungary to finish a lap down on your, you know, glory stealing teammate Max Verstappen. <laughs> um, but the, the the thing is for Red Bull, I think they would probably like to put Daniel Kvyat back into the the second seat. I think there's absolutely no losers there in that situation. Right. Um, I think Alex Albon's a little bit too much of an unknown right now. Kvyat has the experience and the maturity. He's a bit more of a known quantity. And second of all, since he came back, he seems to be much more settled and mature. But the one thing is, if Red Bull do slot in uh, someone else at any point over the rest of the year, I don't think there'll be any build-up to it. I think it'll literally just happen out of the blue if it does happen. But if they do do that, it means that every year from now on, any Red Bull driver, Red Bull racing driver that doesn't perform, there's going to be constant questions over when are they being replaced? When are they being replaced? So if Red Bull can literally sit out the rest of the year, they've broken that kind of cycle. Yeah. Oh, well, if the air is allowed to stay the year, then, you know, there won't be that question mark. There won't be that pressure put on the underperforming driver at Red Bull every year from now on if they do carry out the replacement. Yeah, because I think the pressure is just going to escalate things with Pierre, isn't it? I think I think he might need, just need an arm around the shoulder and just say, "Well, hold on, calm down." Because he's a confident driver. Well, you don't you don't get into F one unless you've got some talent, you know. 
Well, let's not forget, Red Bull weren't in any huge hurry to promote him to Formula 1 in the first place. No. And they probably wouldn't have promoted him to Red Bull either because that was only vacated because... Uh, sorry, that was only a vacant seat because Ricardo left, so he wouldn't have even been in their plans straight away. No, they were in absolutely no hurry to put Pierre into that seat, but it was the, mm. the, a case of who else did they have? Yeah, and don't yeah. forget, it was... Um, he was he was beaten by McLaren as well in Hungary, the uh, ex Red Bull Academy driver Carlos Sainz in the McLaren, which would have been a bit of a kick in the teeth as well. How much did they wish they still had Carlos? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about the midfield? Because I'm excited. It's it's quite an exciting midfield at the moment. We've got McLaren who seem to be cemented in fourth place. They've already locked down their drivers for next year. I think McLaren are going to go places. They're probably not going to get quite on the podium next year, but we'll wait and see. But I think the big talking point for this midfield is, is Renault, because this is two races now where they've had not the, the either driver has not scored a point. I'm 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 just trying to think what's going on with with Renault. Is we've got um. We've got um, Alan Prost, who's just been signed as a non-executive chairman. Is it too many cooks? I, uh, Thomas, what's your take on the Renault situation at the moment? Renault's just a mess. They look directionless. They, um, their engine clearly isn't too bad, because in the McLaren, it's doing pretty well. Um, but in terms of reliability, they're already onto their penalties. So any further engine component changes, they're, they're going to be taking penalties regularly, I think, through the second half of the year. Daniel Ricciardo looks increasingly pissed off at the situation. Um, Nico Hulkenberg has no one to blame for but himself for uh, missing out on a great result in Hockenheim. I know it was a, a lot of drivers made mistakes, but you know there was something about when you saw Hulkenberg so far up, you knew that it'd be something that he inflicted upon himself that would take him <laughs> out of the race. It's just what Nico does, and it, I, I'm starting to wonder whether he's letting the the whole kind of I'm not a podium finisher after so many races. I'm wondering whether it's letting him affect him mentally um, because he, he's a solid pair of hands most of the time. What we saw last year in Azerbaijan when he was in fourth place, he crashed uh, by himself. We saw in Hockenheim there when the minute he got into a podium place, he crashed. Hulkenberg looks weak mentally. Ricardo looks like he's getting pissed off and Renault don't seem to be able to figure out what the hell they're doing with their car. At one race, they're seventh and eighth. The next, they're 17th and 18th. I, I can't figure out Renault. What about you, Luke? Have you figured out Renault? Oh, absolutely not. I think... Um, <laughs> Damn it. At, <laughs> at, um, at the start of the season, they you know everyone was really hoping that if, if there wasn't going to be a championship battle, could one of the midfield teams at least get in amongst the, the kind of top three teams and disrupt them a little bit? And, you know, out of all the kind of candidates there were, you'd have thought, okay, yeah, Renault looked in a good good place last season, you know, big team, big budget. Surely they'll kick on this this season and start challenging, you know, maybe for the occasional podium. And and they, you know, they, there, was, there was some highlights, like they, they raced very well in Canada, for example. They were, you know, in amongst the, the Red Bulls for quite a bit and disrupting them. But um, yeah, I, I, I think they had, they had reliability problems at the start of the year, like, like, like Thomas said, and and yeah, it's they're just they're gonna they're struggling to salvage even a fifth place out of the constructors championship, and it's mm-hmm. and it's it. 
for a worse team with their resources. Well, it's not good enough. I was just going to proffer some kind of hypothetical, right? So, Renault board are getting <laughs> bored <laughs> of because um, they did. They made lofty predictions of we'll win the championship within three years or something, and that's we're coming up to three years now, and that's not happening. So perhaps they sell the Endstone team and just continue developing engines, but become they be, maybe McLaren becomes the works team. Is that a likely outcome? I, um, I I think because they've invested so much time and effort into it, I, I think to pull the plug now would probably, you know, after a few bad races would and, and half a shaky season would probably be a bit quick for them. Okay. I think you know to pull the plug on a on a Formula One outfit is is a massive decision to make, and I and I certainly think it's worth them persisting till at least the twenty twenty one regulations to see mm. if if they can make something from that because you know let's not forget you know this uh, in quotation marks team Endstone has you know they've won championships before in previous guises mm. so you know and there'll be, there'll be a lot of experienced people there who who are you know very professional people and know what they're doing so i think i i i think they just they just need a bit more time yeah this this first bit of the season hasn't worked out but i you know but hopefully they they don't hopefully they don't give up just yet i think the first thing that will change will be cyril being removed mm. cyril Levico. i think he'll be removed if Renault continue to underperform maybe alan prost put in charge completely or, you know, they might look, because they're kind of quite a, a nationalistic kind of team, they might look to maybe, I don't know, bring in Eric Boulier. I was in. thinking maybe that, something, yeah. Maybe, maybe something like that, because previously, Eric was in charge of that team before. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just going to say, previously of Team Endstone. Yeah, all the Fredos you can ever want. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I can see, you know, a change at the top happening with Renault first, and then getting to 2021, and if they continue to, to kind of flounder around kind of aimlessly in the midfield, then Renault might decide to pull. It's too soon, I think, after their initial comeback. And it would just look silly for them to come in, leave, come in, yeah. leave, like they've been doing for the last two decades. It did feel a bit sensationalist coming out of my mouth, but I, I thought I'll ask the question because it's it's becoming a bit of a strange situation with Renault. They've got masses amount of resources. They've got one of the biggest car manufacturers behind them and all of their money. And you just, something's not working, you know? And I think you might be right. I think it could be the management structure. We've seen an overhaul of McLaren and it almost night and day sort of turned around their their performances. I I can understand why the question was asked because, you know, you had the, you know, uh, several years ago you had BMW, you know, they only, only just became a full works team, really. And then when it got to 2009, they pulled out after, what, their kind of fourth full season or something like that. So, yeah. you know, big big decisions by car companies has happened like that. Obviously, that was to do with the, the, yes. you know, the yeah. global financial crisis as well was yeah. a big part of that. But, you know, decisions like that have been made before. So so I, I thought it was worth the question. Okay. Um, thanks, Luke. You're um, welcome. So uh, we've we've running out of time, and I, uh, there's a few things I would like to cover. But something I w- something I, th- I feel like I should is that uh, Williams are taking a couple more little steps forward. Uh, they got a point 
in Germany, Kubica of all people. And um, there was a str- really strong performance from Russell. I think he was the star of qualifying for me uh, in Hungary. Hmm. So I think there might be a light at the end of the tunnel, Luke. What what, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, Russell versus Kubica in the Hungarian Grand Prix qualifying, I think was one of the biggest uh, teammate differentials we've seen in qualifying on just pure pace for, for some time. That was, he was, what, 1.3 seconds faster than Kubica or something like that. Huge, yeah. Yeah, and he was um, obviously knocking on the door of Q2 as well. I, I actually thought he'd, he'd made it. At some point, but uh, I think uh, some uh, someone someone picked him at the last last minute and uh, last second even, and uh, he lined up sixteenth. Um, but it was still a, a really good, uh, really good performance, and it's and and that's just a little glimmer of hope that Williams have been waiting for, you know, because they've had these updates that have come in, um, I believe, across Silverstone and. Uh, the Hockenheim ring, they've had a, a whole raft of updates come to the car. And I think this is the first race where they've really started to come good. It was, mm. you know, it was, it was in the downforce areas where they, they were, they were lacking. And at a high downforce track like the Hungara ring, that was where any kind of improvements were going to be, um, made obvious. So, so th- there's definitely, definitely reason for a little bit more optimism for, for Williams, I think. So, uh, Thomas, I want to talk about their drivers. Do, do we think some of the bigger teams are looking at Russell quite closely? Because there has been that massive gap, as Luke mentioned, between him and Kubica. Kubica? Kubica? I say Kubica. I think he says Kubica as Kubica, well. I think. I think. I think you remember him saying before that it sounds fast. Oh, I'm, I'm going to call him Robert then. So, um, <laughs> So there is that big gap between... Russell and Robert. Russell and Robert sounds like a really bad kettle <laughs> manufacturer, doesn't it? <laughs> so there is a big gap between the two teammates. What? Obviously, bigger teams are looking at George. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, bigger teams might be looking at him, but they're not going to be able to get him um, unless Mercedes, you know, decide to release him. He is uh, very much under Mercedes' contract, and you know they're going to decide where he goes and what he does. Mm. So mm-hmm. I don't think he's off to Mercedes. I don't think he's off to the other Mercedes-affiliated team, Racing Point. I think he's at Williams for at least another year and maybe even another one beyond that. Would that be good for him, um, though, and his career? It's doing him no harm at the moment, is it? Okay. If I think Mercedes will be monitoring whether Williams come good as well because um, cause I think ideally they'd want to have a similar path to what they did with Ocon, where he, he started off at doing half a season at Manor, which, you know, back in 2016, I think, which were at the at the back of the grid. And then... Eventually- Forget about that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. And then eventually Ocon ended up at what was then Force India um, for a couple of seasons. So I think they'd want to maybe give him that progression. But I think, like Thomas said, the, the, until, a, until something changes, there may not be any of those avenues open anytime soon. Okay. I think we've covered everything. Well done, guys. Okay, so um, that rounds up this episode. We didn't have time to talk about Lando Norris's visit to a dairy farm or Lance Stroll's latest line of lacrosse fashion wear. However, Ooh. you can check us out um, online at formulaspy.com, on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash formulaspy, on Twitter, 
on at Formula Spy. On Instagram, somehow, if you search for Formula Spy, you probably will find us. Um, need more preparation on that a bit. Um, so uh, you can follow each of us uh, on Twitter. You can follow Thomas on at Thomas Ma on F1. You can follow uh, Luke on at Lucas Murph, and that's Murph with a PH. Is that right? That is correct. Excellent. Neutral or acidic or alkaline? Anyway. Neutral. Good, great. And you can follow <laughs> myself on um, at Frank Parker F1. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you even if you if you still are, um, I'll speak to you next time, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Goodbye. Ciao for now. Ta-ra. Ta-ra. <laughs> the Formula Spy Podcast. Music by Building Giants. Check them out on Spotify.